Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. This is the last episode where we're going to be dealing with values. And I think this one is really important because for many of us coming from high demand religion, one of the biggest issues that we face is having conversations with other people who have different values than us, whether this is our mom and dad who are still in the religion that we have transitioned out of, or whether this is a spouse as you begin to heal and you know reclaim identities some of these values conflicts are going to come to the forefront and that's not a bad thing in fact if i could say one thing at the beginning of this podcast it is that conflict isn't bad and i know that if you came from high demand religion any kind of christianity or christian adjacent religion especially you're going to have some feelings about conflict and about whether it's okay or not. When I say conflict, what do you think of? So younger me would have thought about like screaming and cursing and crying and forceful slamming of cabinets and doors, and perhaps even like a few flying broken dishes. So conflict in that context, especially as a child, it was terrifying. And it makes sense that I spent decades avoiding it at all costs. Maybe you experienced something similar. But I've learned now that conflict is simply the recognition of individuality in a relationship. That's literally all conflict is, is recognizing where we're individuals and we're not quite overlapping with what we want or expect. It's recognizing that I'm a unique human and so is the other person. And in this instance, whatever it is, whatever this conflict is about, we're not on the same page. For me now, conflict is an invitation to get curious, to get to know the other person better, to help them understand me better so that we can better define the flexible boundaries between us and find a space that's comfortable for us both. But many of us were taught in high demand religion to avoid conflict at all costs. I remember hearing this scripture from 3 Nephi 11.29, that's in the Book of Mormon for those of you who are not ex-Mormon or deconstructing Mormons. And it says, he that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention, who stirreth the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. And if you're reading from the Bible, there are so many verses about conflict and about contempt and about anger. But one of them that comes to mind for me is Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. So for many of us, we were taught to conflate conflict with anger and bitterness and resentment and even possibly violence. I don't remember ever being taught that conflict can be healthy, that it can help us understand one another better, and that it can ultimately bring us closer to one another. I was never taught that conflict didn't have to involve anger and yelling and resentment or, you know, physical violence. I don't ever remember even considering 
that we could just have a conversation about our differences. So it makes sense if you're scared senseless about experiencing conflict with someone you love or anyone at all. None of us want to experience yelling and cursing and that like real threat to our attachment with someone else. We don't want to experience that. So if you're conflict avoidant, know that there's a reason for that. If you have all kinds of like uncomfortable feelings about conflict, know that that's okay. But we're going to work through that together because embracing healthy conflict, you can have a healthy conflict conversation with a voice like this. You can have a healthy conflict conversation with a very kind, gentle, curious voice. It does not have to get heated. In fact, if it's getting heated, it means it's time for a break. It's time for some self-care because someone's not feeling safe. Maybe both of you aren't feeling safe and you come back to the conversation. So if the conflict that you have experienced with this person that you're planning to have a conversation with, if it has been full of emotional or physical violence, please don't go into conflict conversations unless you feel safe. Like unless you know that you're going to be physically or emotionally safe. Okay, don't do that on your own unless it is safe to do so. But if both of you are wanting to work on that and you have this history of emotional, mental abuse or physical abuse, please seek a mediator, like a couples or family therapist, someone who can help you slow down the process when it begins to get heated break those old patterns of behavior and help you practice healthier ways of communicating your feelings and needs with one another. If you're going to have a healthy conflict conversation and you're in a relationship with someone who has that you have these patterns with, please suggest mediation. And if they're not okay with that, get curious about why. A lot of times people still have stigma kind of stuck in their psyche about what it means to have a mediator. They might feel like they're broken. They might feel like it means like they're a failure. They might feel like all kinds of things that somehow they're crazy. There's a lot of stigmas that that come around about needing a therapist. So get curious about that. Instead of getting curious about the conflict, get curious about how they feel about the mediator if they're resistant to that. Now, I will say this. If you need to have conflict conversations with someone who has been in a pattern of abuse with you and They're unwilling to bring in a third party to help you mediate and create new patterns, then there's only so much you can do. You cannot resolve conflict all on your own. So at that point, you'd have some difficult conversations you need to have with yourself about what you need to do next. Because we can't feel safe in a relationship unless we can healthily resolve conflict And if it's been unsafe to do that in the past and you don't feel comfortable doing that on your own and the other person is not willing to seek help for that, you're you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And, And those are some difficult conversations you'll have to have with yourself. And there's no right or wrong answer about what you conclude to do, but there will need to be a difficult conversation with yourself. So before we begin specifically talking about conflicts of values, I want you to take some time and wrap your head around the possibility that conflict can be a crucial part of building a healthy, interdependent relationship. And I know this is scary if you're coming from a codependent background. Like I feel that on a visceral level. I've been there. I know that fear. 
but I want you to take some time. I'm like being serious. Pause the podcast and just allow yourself to sit with the idea that conflict is crucial to building a healthy interdependent relationship. So if you need some help kind of envisioning that, imagine what could happen if your relationship felt safe enough to talk about your real thoughts and feelings and expectations without worry of those things being used against you. Like that's what conflict does. It allows you to feel safe when you've had a pattern of healthy conflict. It allows you to feel safe to take off your armor and get vulnerable and share your real thoughts, your real feelings, and your real expectations. You even get to share like what triggers you when you feel uncomfortable or unsafe. It becomes this healthy container where you get to explore not only yourself, but the other person. Now, imagine if in your relationship, you felt heard and seen and deeply understood. What if you felt safe enough to disagree? To remain an individual without feeling coerced? What if you didn't have to abandon yourself to be okay in your relationship? That's what healthy conflict does. It allows you to remain yourself, to be fully individual, to have boundaries while also maintaining a relationship that is a give and take, that's a win-win for both of you. And what if you felt safe enough to have needs and desires of your own and know that those needs would be respected and valued? In order to express needs that aren't being met, guess what we have to have? We have to have healthy conflict conversations. If my needs aren't being met, I have to identify those. I have to figure out what I want to change. And then I have to be able to speak that to another person who can hear it with curiosity, with understanding, who wants to make this relationship comfortable for me too. So this is what we're aiming for in healthy conflict resolution. If this is a foreign concept for you, if you feel a lot of resistance to it, if you feel your mind exploding, I get that. Pause and take as long as you need to sit with this idea of what would it be like if I could be fully honest with this person about what I want and need and expect and value and prioritize? And what if there was no judgment about that? And what if there was no threat to our attachment because of that? How would that change your life? How would that change your sense of safety in the world? And how would it change your relationship with this person? That is healthy conflict. Now, before we get started, I have a favor to ask that will cost you nothing but a few moments of your time. Would you please pause and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already? Subscribe on whatever platform you usually listen on. It can be iTunes or Spotify or Google Play. It really doesn't matter which platform. But the more subscribers we have, the more visible this podcast becomes to people looking for resources to help them heal from high-demand religion. And as an added bonus, the more reach the podcast has, the more likely some of the speakers I dream of inviting to interview are likely to accept the invitations I send them. Together, as we grow, we can create a powerful magnet for some of the best scholars and thought leaders to share their wisdom to all of us healing from religious trauma. Thank you in advance for making this podcast. 
something that I only dreamed of a couple of years ago. And thank you for the ways that we will grow together. I can't wait to see what we create. All right, so let's set the stage for healthy conflict. You're coming into this conflict conversation and the very first ingredient you need to have or conflict resolution is not going to happen is curiosity. And I know you guys have heard me say that word so many times, but I want you to stick with me because we're going to get into what this looks like. Our values are a part of our identity. We often derive our sense of self-worth from the values we uphold. They aren't just who we are. They're what make us feel worthy and valuable in our own estimation. And if we have a hope of healthy conflict resolution around values, we have to come to the conversation with the desire to deeply hear and understand the other person, not to convince them to be different than they are. Because if we're coming to this conversation to win, to convince the other person to prioritize what we prioritize, to see the world the way we see the world, then what we're really saying is, I want you to get rid of yourself in favor of me. We're prioritizing codependency. We're saying, I want you to see the world my way. I want you to become like me instead of, I want to understand you, which is what we're hoping for here. Jay Shetty, in an interview on episode 217 of Diary of a CEO podcast, said he believes the biggest obstacle to resolving conflicts around values is the belief that the way we live life is the right way to live it. Oh, like the belief that my perspective, my opinion, my priorities, my values should be everyone's. And somehow because of that, we should just naturally align. And I think you see that with your partner the most. That really hit because that's where we came from. Like, this was my childhood is that I was taught to believe that my way of seeing the world, our collective Mormon way of seeing the world, was the right way. And that because of that, when I opened my mouth, when I shared my testimony, when I expressed my point of view, that everyone should just align because it was obviously right. And I think we bring some of this with us even after we've deconstructed into our relationships, this idea that my values, my way of doing things is the right way. And then we're at war with one another because it brings up some of this religious trauma, I think, for some of us. Or for some of us, it brings up codependent trauma with our parents. This idea that it was their way or the highway, that their way was right, and we needed to bend to that will. We're used to that kind of authoritarianism. And when we bring that into our conflict resolution, there is a part of us, a self-protective part of us that is really rebellious against that. Now, if you know that the purpose of the conversation is to be persuaded or manipulated into abandoning your own values in favor of someone else's perspective and priorities, are you going to go into that conversation without your armor and sword? Probably not. You're not going for diplomacy. You're here for war and you're here to win because no one wants to lose the war. Setting the expectation that you're both there to deeply understand one another, not change one another, but to understand who you actually are can help get the conflict resolution off on the right foot. Now, if you have longstanding patterns of trying to convince or coerce one another, setting ground rules that each of you is allowed to call a timeout when you're beginning to feel trampled may be really helpful. 
So maybe you can actually say like, oh, I'm starting to feel unsafe. But if that feels unsafe, maybe you have a silly key word that you can say, like potatoes or rainbows or whatever you want to say that can bring like a lighthearted, like I'm not feeling safe. It's kind of like a red word in, you know, sexual exploration. This is your code red word of I'm not feeling safe right now. We need to stop. It's okay to do that in conversations. It's not just something for the bedroom. You can agree on a word that means I don't feel safe. And as soon as you say it, you stop. You take a break. You both do some self-care. Get back into your good headspace. Get out of fight or flight. And you come back to the conversation. Maybe you throw a yellow flag. I come from a family who played a lot, a lot, a lot of soccer. Make it playful and fun. You're not accusing the other person of being a monster. You're just trying to signal that you're beginning to feel unsafe and you need a breather for self-care so you can continue the conversation in a healthy way. Now, you want to set these ground rules before you get into the conflict conversation because especially if you have a pattern of trying to manipulate and coerce one another or convince one another or persuade one another, if there has to be a winner and a loser, then you're going to get heated. And in the middle of fight or flight, we're not thinking well. So while everybody is in their cognitive function, while everybody is thinking logically and rationally, Come up with the ground rules, something that you can both agree on. And then when things start to feel unsafe, not when you're in the middle of a meltdown, but the moment you start to feel triggered, unsafe, then that's when you throw the yellow flag. That's when you say panda bears, whatever it is. Make it playful and fun. Step away. And you can do this as much as you need to. If every 30 seconds you're having to do it, that's fine. You're building new neural pathways. You're building new patterns in your relationship. You're prioritizing safety and curiosity. You're actually working together on a value as you engage in these conflict conversations. Decide together before you engage in the conversation that you want to stay curious. You want this to be safe. You want it to feel like an understanding conversation. I want to deeply understand you. I want you to deeply understand me. And we'll feel more connected even if we don't have any resolutions yet. That's the whole purpose. The purpose of this conversation is to deeply understand one another and feel more connected. To feel like you're on the same side even if you value different things. Also, quick note, curiosity conversations about what makes each of you feel unsafe, what triggered that yellow flag, that can be really useful too. So if you come back to the conversation getting curious about what made you feel unsafe can actually make your conflict conversations feel safer and safer. So maybe you're not talking about the conflict right now. Maybe you've moved it to talking about what were those triggers? What made you throw the yellow flag? What made you say the key word? Help me understand what that was like for you so that I can understand you know, how to create a safer atmosphere for you. Help me understand what makes you feel like you're starting to be coerced. So often it has nothing to do with us. So often it has to do with something in our childhood. So it might be a tone of voice. It might be a certain like hand gesture you're making. I think I've talked about this in previous podcasts. I used to clear my throat when I get nervous or whatever. I produce tons of like mucus and saliva. It's super gross. But I used to clear my throat a whole lot. And Kevin growing up, his mom would clear her throat when he had done something wrong as kind of a, you're forgetting something, you need to find something. 
you need to get up and do something. And so in the middle of conflict conversation where, you know, emotions are already tender, I would clear my throat because I was nervous and he was getting the signal of there's something you're forgetting, you're doing something wrong. So he would get super triggered. And it was interesting when we started getting curious about that trigger, realizing, oh, that's your trigger. And that makes so much sense. And at the same time, like him understanding, like, I'm just super nervous and I'm like all, you know, spitty and snotty over here. And so when we understood each other better, actually that trigger went away because Kevin understood I was not trying to cue him that he was doing something wrong. And I didn't feel as self-conscious about having to clear my throat as much as I did when we were having super uncomfortable conversations. So get curious with your triggers. So often they have nothing to do with your actual relationship. They have to do with childhood. Now, the next step is going to be acceptance. And this is a really difficult one sometimes. In any conflict conversation with someone you care about, you're first trying to know and understand the other person at a deep, vulnerable, emotional level, as much as possible anyway. Sometimes when we're healing from codependency, we might not know ourselves very well and we might not be able to articulate what we want and need or feel well to ourselves, much less to another person. And that's okay. The safer you feel with a loved one, the safer it becomes to explore what it is under the surface of our actions and reactions. After we've gotten curious, though, and we begin to understand the other person, our goal is to accept that this is who they are. We have to believe them. We have to say, okay, this is who you are. You've shown me yourself. Thank you. And I believe you. Often we approach conflict with the desire to change the other person. But I love something that Jay Shetty said in his interview that I mentioned before. He said, stop trying to change anyone because people don't change for other people, no matter how much they love them. People change for themselves. And if they don't want to change, they're not changing. Again, if you're coming from a codependent background, you probably have some magical thinking still lingering around in your psyche that says, if I'm just good enough, if I just please them enough, if I serve them just right, then they'll change for me because they love me. Our responsibility isn't to change someone else, to help them become the version of themselves that we think would be best. We actually can't even do that if we tried. Our responsibility is to find out what the other person values, prioritizes, and desires, and then to accept that. The trick here is going to be staying out of assumption. Get crystal clear with them about their priorities. Ask curiosity questions as many times as it takes until they feel heard and understood and you feel like you understand where they're coming from. But I want to throw in this caveat. There are many of us who are pursuers. We're the people who like nitpick at our relationship until we feel connected again. We often have anxious attachment. We want to be connected right now. And so please don't pepper the withdrawers or the avoidant attachment types in your life with so many questions. Don't nag them trying to restore that attachment. Like give them space to think and ask for their consent. Let them know you're curious and you want to go at their pace, okay? Because again, when we're trying to force our priorities, even if it's anxious attachment, we can freak out the other person and they can rebel and actually talk to us less. So let them know you're here to talk when they're ready to talk and that you want to understand, but you got to give them space. And I know that's really hard for those of us who are pursuers in our relationships. It's crazy. Now, once somebody has revealed themselves to us, 
and we accept that this is who they are. We've asked the curiosity questions. We understand them deeply. And we're like, this is you. This is what you can give. This is what you prioritize. This is what you value. Our responsibility then is to decide what to do with that information. And this is where what I call the relationship Venn diagram comes into place. I know I'm a total nerd, but this is how I view my relationships with others. I literally have like a visual in my head with each relationship that I have. So Kevin and I have a lot of overlap, but we do have places where we're completely individual and different. But there are other people like our circles barely touch and other people where we don't touch at all anymore. And so we're going to talk about that. So in the relationship Venn diagram, each of you is your own circle. That's your individual self. And you overlap in places. That's your relationship. Perhaps when you were in high demand religion, you probably had relationships where you overlapped more that maybe you don't overlap as much anymore. And maybe there used to be relationships where you completely overlapped because of codependent patterns. You lost yourself either in the relationship or in the religion, and you were both like engulfed in the religion. So you had no self, and it made it feel like you were the same person or on the very same page all of the time. And if that's what you're used to, even if both of you leave the high demand religion like Kevin and I did, you might start to find that like, as you develop a sense of self, it can feel really threatening and tricky to your attachment because you start to notice that you have differences. And there's going to be places where you don't overlap anymore. And that's a good thing. That's what healthy interdependence looks like. Okay. So healthy interdependence retains two separate circles, but the relationship is the place where they touch. After getting curious with one another, acceptance will feel like being aware of where your circles touch and where they're separate and accepting that that's okay. And you're going to have a couple of choices at this point. Now you've fully gotten curious. You fully accepted like, okay, here is where we are similar and here's where we're different. This is you and this is me. And this is where we meet in the middle. This is like what we have in common. That doesn't mean that you can't work with the things that are different to make space for both of those. So for instance, I need both social engagement and I need quiet. Kevin mostly needs quiet. He does like a little social engagement, but he likes a lot of time to himself. So we kind of work together to find that right mix of quiet for both of us and that right mix of social engagement. There are things that we have been flexible with one another about to meet both of our needs. And that's the first way that we deal with this is we find ways to meet our needs in the spaces where our circles touch. Is there a place in that space where our circles touch where we can honor both of our needs and feel good about it? So how much social engagement can Kevin engage with? And are there certain kinds of social engagement he likes better than others? Kevin likes small gatherings, which still allows me to feel social and helps that extroverted side of me feel like I've gotten people time. So Kevin likes small gatherings. So we have small gatherings of people at our house. Big gatherings feel overwhelming to him. And he actually goes catatonic for a couple of days afterwards. After we have a huge gathering at our house, which I never really realized before, all the people would leave and the two introverts in my house would curl up on the couch together with their devices and would not talk to anyone for like two days. 
because they were having to recover from all the people here. So as we started working together, I realized I do like big groups of people, but not here at home because that doesn't honor him. So we do small groups of people here at home that honors him and me. And then I go do big groups of people stuff out with other friends who like big groups of people stuff. And that's the second way we can meet our needs is first we find out like, how can we meet both of our needs inside the places that feel good to both of us? And occasionally he'll flex and go do something like in an amusement park or a concert with me where there's tons of people because he knows I love it. And it has to be something that he really wants to do as well. And that's cool. And other times, like, we go on vacation and, like, we hang out and read and there's a lot of quiet time. A lot of our couples' vacations honor the introverted part of us because it feels good to both of us. So we connect it. We connect in our, like, introverted ways. So we'll have conversations with one another about intellectual topics and stuff and sometimes about, like, we'll watch a movie together or we'll go on a walk quietly together and we connect deeply in that way. It, you know, nourishes both of our introverted sides. So we find those ways to meet our needs where our circles touch and where our circles don't touch. If that person can't meet our needs, we don't try to force them. We find ways to meet our needs outside of that relationship. So I have loud, crazy dancing Zumba friends. I actually just took on a kind of a side gig with one of my friends who's a wedding planner because I've really been missing parties since COVID and I've been missing like that happy, fun, excited energy. And she was like, I need an assistant wedding coordinator. And I was like, sign me up. So very occasionally this year, I'm going to be going to weddings and enjoying the party and the music and all the people and the energy. And it's going to be really like nourishing for me, but that would not be nourishing for Kevin. So I've found ways to like nourish these parts of me that aren't nourished necessarily just in my relationship with Kevin because he's not interested in those things. He's super interested in video games. I am not super interested in video games. So he finds that nourishment with other people in his life. And that's okay. I think so often we were told that all of our needs needed to be met in our marriage relationship. And that is not true. We're not looking for a person that's just like us. We're looking for a person that we that we like really enjoy their company and they bring out the best in us, but they probably don't meet all of our needs. I would say Kevin maybe meets like 60 to 70% of my needs and the other, you know, 30 to 40%, I got to go find someplace else. And I'm actually cool with that now that we've healed a little bit more. Now, the last option I think is often a last resort for many of us, especially when it's a close relationship. But sometimes we have these conversations And we recognize that we are two totally different people. We don't have anything in common. Or we find out that the other person is not willing to prioritize a relationship with us. That one of their values is not deeply connecting. And that they're not really willing to do work to find a safe space with us. And at that point, we find out that our Venn diagram doesn't touch at all. And we have to have a difficult conversation with ourselves. We can either accept that we will have no deep connection with this person. There are people in my life that are still in my life, but we keep it super surfacey. There's no deep connection. We talk about the weather. We talk about sports. We talk about gardening, but nothing personal. 
It's it's like talking to somebody at the grocery store. And that's okay. Like once I fully understood where they were coming from and I accepted that, it allowed me to release the expectation that we should have a deeper connection. And it allowed me to quit being angry that they weren't meeting my needs. And I just realized all of my needs needed to be met outside of that relationship, that I really couldn't rely on that relationship, at least at the present, to fulfill any of my emotional needs. And there will be other people that you just kind of drift away from or cut cords with. And that's okay too. Now, as we end this week, I want you to give yourself permission to get curious with you first, then perhaps create the ground rules with a loved one to begin getting curious about where you're similar, like where your circles touch and where you're different. Don't worry about resolving anything yet. Just allow yourself to get to know one another better and more deeply understand what you value and why. So remember, first you. Get to know you first. You can't have conflict conversations with other people if you don't know yourself. You have to really get clear with yourself about what the conflict is, about what you value, about what you'd like to see happen. So do that work first. Then when you're pretty clear on that, when you at least have something to communicate, then you're going to sit down with your significant other and create ground rules of curiosity and acceptance. Like we're not here to change each other. We're just here to understand each other so that we can accept each other as we are. Like let's get the cards on the table and look at them and be conscious of them. And then we'll decide what to do from there. So don't feel like you have to make any decisions this week. This week is just about reestablishing that curiosity and getting to know yourself and one another better. I'm so excited to hear what comes up in these conversations. Even if you find out your Venn diagrams don't touch, it really does lead to a lot of relief. After the grief, there is some grief whenever you find out your Venn diagrams don't touch. But once you're able to grieve that and accept that, it really does come with a whole bunch of relief. And you're able to still like be pleasant with the other person and create even good memories with the other person even if you're not connecting on any sort of deep level. I wish you all healing this week and success in connecting with people that are important to you this week. And I will talk to you next Sunday.